Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. One of my favorite conversations I've ever had on There Are No Girls on the Internet is with a writer who was targeted and harassed online about how she continues to stay safe while doing visible work on the Internet. Without missing a beat, she said, anybody worried about online harassment should sign up for Delete Me. I signed up for Delete Me right then and there, and I personally recommend it to anyone. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls, code nogirls. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. You're listening to Disinformed, a mini series from There Are No Girls on the Internet. I'm Bridget Todd. During World War II, Many women did the dangerous work of resistance. Dutch sisters, Freddy and Trus Overstegen, would get all dolled up to flirt with Nazi soldiers at bars before inviting them out for a romantic walk and alluring them to their deaths. Dancer Josephine Baker secretly worked as a spy, passing on secrets she learned while performing to the French military. Elizabeth Gloden hid Jews in her home in Berlin before getting them out of Germany to safety. Their work was often quiet, and behind the scenes, and also very dangerous. Today, there's still dangerous work to be done. On January 6th, we watched white supremacists breach the Capitol. And they were brazen, posting for selfies, live streaming, seemingly not caring if anyone knew who they were. 
I still see their smiling faces when I walk around my neighborhood in D.C. on bus stop bay posters asking for the public's help with identifying them. Over 270 have already been charged. No, I'm not going to lie. In the aftermath, it was kind of satisfying to watch people who were once so brazen get arrested. But I know it doesn't end there. It's important to follow up with what happens, even after the arrests are made. What were they charged with? Were they convicted? What happens next? Luckily, digital infrastructure that makes this easy for anyone to do already exists. And much of the dangerous work of building it out has been done by brave women armed with data. Women like Emily Gorzenski. Emily is an activist who uses her data science background to fight Nazis and white supremacists. It's dangerous work. She moved to Berlin in part just to get some space. Emily attended the deadly 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, where Heather Heyer was killed. There, well-known neo-Nazi Christopher Cantwell assaulted Emily with pepper spray. She pressed charges, and in turn, Cantwell tried to press charges against her. When Cantwell learned that there was a warrant out for his arrest, he filmed himself sobbing, thus earning the nickname The Crying Nazi. Just a few moments before I spoke with Emily, news broke. Cantwell was being sentenced to 41 months in prison for trying to extort a member of a rival group of neo-Nazis who call themselves the Bull Patrol. They wear bull haircuts in tribute to Dylan Roof, who shot and killed nine at a Charleston church. Cantwell has been harassing Emily for years. And now he's going to prison. She sipped Blue Label whiskey as we talked. A quiet celebration. Usually I start these interviews asking about people's backgrounds and where where they came from and all of that. But I have to mention, top of the show, white supremacist, a.k.a. crying Nazi Christopher Cantwell was just sentenced to 41 months in prison. Uh, How are you feeling? You know, I I feel relieved and I feel grateful that um, this is something that I don't have to worry about anymore. So for those who don't know, um, Chris Cantwell was... Nicknamed the Crying Nazi because um, in 2017, he came to the Unite the Right rally. There was this Vice documentary that featured him very heavily. He was talking a big game about, like, how much violence he wanted to do. He was going to kill people. Like, we're going to kill all these commies and stuff like that. And he had all these guns and was talking about, like, how many weights he lifts. And um, It turns out that he, he actually assaulted me at, the, at that rally with pepper spray um, during the infamous Tiki Torch rally at the University of Virginia. And I pressed charges, um, and when he found out that there was a warrant for his arrest, um, the reason that he found out that there was a warrant for his arrest is I kind of purposely let it slip that I had signed, you know, sworn a warrant for his arrest. He recorded this, like, really long um, YouTube video where he, like, started crying about having a warrant for his arrest and then read his phone number off to, like, in, like on this YouTube video... Um, like his actual phone number. And, um, you know, this was just a few days after the event in Charlottesville. So it was very much in everyone's mind. And so he became known as the crying Nazi. And um, since that moment, you know, his his life has um, taken many, many, many turns for the worse. And he went to jail. He pleaded guilty for assaulting me. Um, and then he recently uh, was in this process of extorting another fellow white nationalist, which got him in trouble with the feds. And um, he was just sentenced. Uh, he was found guilty at trial and then just sentenced to 41 months. 
Um, so this is somebody that's been harassing me for a long time. And this is somebody who's been threatening me and threatening my friends and my family. And, um, you know, prison isn't a solution for this behavior. Like there needs to be a bigger fix, but by God, I'm going to be really grateful for 41 months of not having to worry about his bullshit. So is this how you thought you would use your data science degrees fighting Nazis? No, not at all. In fact, I went to school. I wanted to design airplanes. Um, and I, I did that for a long time and until I realized that designing airplanes was boring and data science both paid better and was more fun. Um, but I never really set out. I never set out to be an activist. Um, I felt I always felt that I had some sort of responsibility to make the world a better place. And when I was younger, there was there were stories about how the Klan would march through like the nearby city uh, next to the city next to where I grew up, which was a small town in Connecticut. And it's like, what is the Klan doing in Willimantic, Connecticut? Um, but you know, the Klan is everywhere because white supremacy is everywhere. And um, you know, I used to to joke with my friends. We used to like kind of fantasize, like, what would we do if the Klan came to town? Oh yeah, we'd like throw smoke bombs at him and shoot paintball guns at him or whatever. Like we. We're like 13, 14 years old, and here we were like conspiring to commit what would probably be federal crimes. But, um, you know, that, that was, you know, long ago, statute of limitations has since passed. Um, but I always felt like, you know, racism, when it got to that degree, was something that um, had to be confronted. It took me a lot longer to understand that racism wasn't just... Um, that, that public behavior, that it was, it was something more deep, you know, deeply rooted in society. And when I started to understand that, I started to become more outspoken. And I guess that's at the point in which I saw that I had a responsibility as a, as a working professional, who, who, somebody who was fortunate enough to have stable housing, you know, a loving wife, um, you know, a, a good upbringing. Um, it was my responsibility to, to say something about bigotry in the world. It was a pure coincidence that all of this shit happened in Charlottesville, um, where I was living. And, you know, so it, it was a, a matter of circumstance, a matter of, you know, weird destinies of the universe and a matter of just always having this moral resolve that like when things got really bad, like I knew that I would be on the front lines. How did you wind up going to that Unite the Right rally? I know you lived in Charlottesville, but what, what made you say, I have to go out there? You know, I, I felt a responsibility to, um, I was somebody that had a decent social media profile at the time. And I had spent the last couple of years speaking out about sexism in the tech industry. And I was doing things like, you know, um, I was working on things like video games for people to help people quit smoking and video games for stroke patients and stuff like that as part of my professional work. And so I watched Gamergate unfold as somebody doing this like game development um, for, you know, people who weren't your typical gamer. Like, and I, I kind of watched this whole thing unfold. Like, you know, if somebody finds out what am I, what I'm doing, are they going to call me some sort of like, you know, social justice warrior or whatever? Cause I'm like trying to help elderly folks who have had a stroke, like rehab themselves. Like it, it was really concerning and I found it, you know, deeply baffling. Um, so, you know, I kind of always like watched that, that uh, evolve. And then I watched it evolve into the Trump 
campaign. And I watched it evolve into the neo-reactionary movement. And I watched it evolve into like the culture wars with the tech industry. And I, I just kind of saw this happening and watching like, you know, this be dominated by these right-wing, these fascistic forces with no real pushback. And I started thinking like, why don't we have better, why don't we have a better ground game when it comes to social media? So kind of like, as soon as everything started happening in Charlottesville, I was like, well, I need to figure out how to do this. You know, things in Charlottesville weren't just the one big rally. Like in 2017, there were at least five neo-Nazi rallies in Charlottesville. Charlottesville, Virginia became a hotbed of violent white supremacist activity. And I don't think I'll ever forget those chants. Some of them were smaller and, and most people forget about them. But the first sort of one that made national news was Richard Spencer came in in mid-May, like Mother's Day in May of 2017. And that was when he held the first torch rally. And it kind of like, you know, raised people's alarms, like neo-Nazis with tiki tor- like with torches marching around in America. That's not cool. Um, and this was like after Richard Spencer had gotten punched famously. And so there was like all, you know, he was kind of like a high profile figure. And when that happened, I was actually here where I am now in Berlin. And in Berlin, I was, I was watching how the activism here unfolds. You know, here, if there's an anti-Nazi demo, there's literally advertisements for it on the bus, on the, on the trains, right? They, they, there's resourcing behind anti-fascism. It, it's very deep in the culture in Berlin. Um, you walk down the street and you will see posters for Antifa demos. Um, and it, it's not as secretive as a movement. And so I started to learn and I, I watched and I, I um, used these like international ties that I had to try to figure out like how does activism work overseas? And I, when things started to unfold in Charlottesville, when the, the big rally was announced and when the, the KKK rally in July was rena- uh, announced. Um, so the KKK rally and, and Unite the Right were two different rallies, believe it or not. <clears throat> so when these were announced, I was like, okay, well, I have this platform and I've spent all of this time looking at how these European movements um, advertise themselves. Okay, let's see if we can change it up. Um, so I decided like my best role was to use my voice um, to be in the front lines, to report from the front lines what's happening, um, to put myself in harm's way if necessary, and just try to make, you know, make, make the protest visible from the inside, um, not just as a, as a journalist, but also as a participant, right? Like, this is me. Like, I'm actually protesting. Um, and this is, this is what it's about. You know, try to, try to show it, you know, real and raw. Um, so that's kind of, like, the mission. And, you know, when Unite the Right came around, it was, for me, it was like, okay, it's time for me to get up, grab my phone and, and go. Like it, there was never a moment's hesitation. I knew exactly what my role was, knew exactly what my job was. And, and for me, it was just go out there and do it. Yeah. I mean, you talked about when you were young, you know, what would we do if the KKK came? I always, people say, you know, whatever you would do in, you know, Nazi Germany, what you're doing now is what you would have done, right? Like whatever you would have done, like when you think of like the civil rights movement, whatever you're doing now is what you would have done. And 
I feel like that line of thinking has really created some urgency in me to not just sit back and be like, oh, I support what they're doing, but I support it, you know, just in my heart. I'm, I'm doing nothing in terms of, of, of actually meaningfully supporting it. And it sounds like that was a, a motivating factor for you as well. Totally, totally. I think, you know, I spent a lot of that year traveling Europe and, and, and visiting sites of, of, you know, horrors um, throughout, you know, 20th century history memorials to the victims of the Nazis and, and memorials to um, people like Jan, Jan Palach, who was a Czech activist um, who um, self-immolated um, at the end of the Prague Spring in 1969 to protest the, the oppressive invasion of the Soviet Union, of Czechoslovakia at the time. And thinking of like, you know, what is it, what must it have been like to be in that position? Right? What, how, how must it have felt? when you don't have these choices and trying to understand, um, you know, shaping my own perception uh, to understand that we look at history and we assume that there were, there was like clear black and white morals, you know, all throughout the time, like that there was, you know, things were fine and then bad things were coming and it was like clear what side you should be on and it was clear what you should have done. Right. We forget that the majority of people did not, you know, um, approve of Martin Luther King, right? We we forget that the majority of people did not approve of the civil rights movement. We forget that there were, um, you know, there was massive support for Nazi Germany in the United States, um, for example. We forget that, you know, um, the the Nazi Party was was um, elected into power, right? So these things are not as clear and. When we look at the current era, it's very easy for us to say, well, things are a little bit ambiguous. I don't like what's happening, but maybe there's a way out where we don't have it. It doesn't have to be nasty. I don't think that's true. I think that it it actually has to be nasty. And it's up to us to control how nasty it is. And if we don't want it to be really, really nasty, then we have to deal with a little bit of nasty. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's no easy way out. And for me, that's like, you know, just you just have to have a clear conscience about what you're going to do and, and what your your boundary is, what your threshold is, and um, and then you know make that decision and act. So, do you think that's necessary to get to a place where we won't have Nazis, you know, marching in the streets? That we have to get comfortable with some level of personal risk. Is that what it's going to take? I think yes, but I think that the more people who are comfortable with personal risk, the less risk it, it is, right? Um, the more people who can do what I'm doing. The, the better it is for all of us, right? And this is definitely one of those things where there's a finite amount of energy that these these fascists have. And if we distribute that load, it becomes much easier to bear. Mm. Um, you know, I think that this is a cost. This is a known cost. I, I knew what the cost of this was going to be going in. Um, that doesn't mean it was easy because it's not been. And it doesn't mean I knew everything about how it would go going in. Um, but I do think that like, you know, when you speak out against hate, people are going to, people who hate are going to push back against you. And I think that, you know, the harassment, the the lies, the defamation, you know, all of this, it's, it, it's part of the cost. Um, but the good news is that, you know, since, since those times, like the amount of people who are speaking up and fighting back is, has gotten larger um, and, and it's gotten easier. Um, you know, but for, you know, if you're high profile, you're always going to get hate. And for me, you know, now it's like, I'm just glad that I can absorb some of the hate so that it doesn't 
fall on to the next person. It's if you want to like come and troll me on Twitter, like I really prefer that you don't. But if if I had to make a choice between me and like some you know random you know more vulnerable nervous person who's finally getting the courage to speak out, like come at me with everything you got. Like I can take it. That person over there is is going to have a much harder time. Let's take a quick break. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Y'all know I love the internet, but a sad truth about it is that it can be a scary place, especially for women, people of color, and trans folks. We've talked to people on this podcast, whistleblowers, activists, and advocates who are making technology safer, who then become targets for doing that work. But the truth is, it can happen to any of us online. That's why I personally use and recommend Delete Me. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online and make sure it stays off. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls code nogirls. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. 
Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. And we're back. Emily is trans. So when white supremacists and Nazis harass her, they do so by weaponizing her identity. And people, even those who are ostensibly on her side, don't always speak up about it. I mean, something else that I, I noticed in your situation is, you know, you talked about assuming risk and, and harm. I do feel that a disproportionate amount of that risk and harm falls on people who are the most marginalized. And for you, you know, in this case with this white supremacist, both he and his lawyer continuously misgendered you. They filed a petition to use your dead name in the proceedings. It's like, I, al- I almost feel as if, even from folks on the left, we don't talk about the specific ways that people's identities are weaponized by, you know, white supremacists, bad people. And it makes, it gives the impression that people are all absorbing the same level of risk, when in your case, you clearly are not, you are absorbing more. Yeah, I think it's it's a shame um, that we we fail to do that on the left. And this is one of the things that, you know, I didn't really account for. I thought I would have had a little bit more support in those matters. And it's frustrating at times when I see things like, you know, a right-wing author writing about me using my dead name and, and transphobic commentary for no, for that has nothing to do with the book, but he's doing it because he knows that he can hurt me. That's one thing, you know, and that sucks. What really sucks is when it, that gets ignored. Um, and I, I see this all the time. I see this with, you know, trans people, you know, people aren't calling out transphobia. Um, and it's, it, you know, people aren't understanding the ways that transphobia harms, right? Um, and these are leftists who um, fancy themselves to be trans allies, but they still don't understand those harms. And, you know, I'm sure that, you know, you know it's, um, we, we see this all the time, like black women get attacked and we find the attacks reprehensible, but somehow we still separate ourselves from like the, <clears throat> the anti-blackness of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's I know it's hard to to understand and to empathize, but I think, you know, we really have to do better at, at seeing these things and understanding what those costs are. I mean, could you imagine what would have happened if the judge allowed that petition for me to be dead named in court and misgendered in court? Like, I didn't want to have to fight a battle over basic, na- you know, naming rights, you know, and it could have been that. Thankfully it wasn't, but, you know, these are the, like, those are the stakes and like that just gets swept under the rug. Was some part of you worried that that proceeding, that that would be allowed, that you would be, that they would officially say, yes, we're using your dead name? Um, No, because I didn't, you know, I didn't even know that it happened until after it was handled by my lawyers. Um, I was on a like a work trip. I was out in Portland, Oregon. I get a call, uh, you know, after work one day. And my lawyer's like, all right, Emily, I got to tell you something. Something really shitty happened, but don't worry. It's okay. And I'm like, all right, what's up? And so she told me how she had to like go and argue in front of the judge and, and all of that. And, you know, we could have just gone in with my name change form and been like, no, you have to do this. Otherwise, it's contempt of court. But we actually managed to argue it successfully without needing to go and like, like formally do it because I think, you know, not every trans person can afford a name change or 
has access to one, right? Um, so it's actually an important thing to do. So I'm grateful that my lawyers were so amazing um, and that they went to bat for me. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just, these, it, it's always going to be something, right? And it's, it feels like it's always going to be something that follows me for the rest of my life. Yeah, and it's like, you know, it's like one more thing you don't fucking need. One more thing to take you away from your work or to take up your energy or your time or your capacity, which we know are finite resources. That's part of the plan, right? This is a weaponized sort of war of attrition, right, that they do this. Because if they get you spending your, your energy on all of these little things, ultimately, if you needed to swallow it you could, to get the job done, you would just swallow it to get the job done. But you want to fight it, right? And so they're trying to distract you. They're trying to steal your energy fighting these pointless battles. And they're not pointless battles, but they're not the main point of the battle, right? So it's like death by a thousand paper cuts with all of this stuff. And yeah, I don't know. It just It just seems like that's part of this like fascist strategy is to just keep you constantly occupied so that you can never get ahead because they know that if you had a moment peace, right? Imagine what we could all do mm. given that, like the, the, the stuff that I'm accomplishing now, having moved to Germany, having gotten some space between, you know, the trauma and the noise and all of that. And like the healing that I've done, like, I'm doing the best work of my life right now because that's the power that I have. And I got that power by having to fight all, like by surviving all of these fights for so long, you know, as somebody that's mixed race, as somebody that's transgender, as somebody that's queer, right? It's just a constant battle. Well, surviving that has given me the tools to, to excel, but at the same time, like sometimes I wish I could just be kind of normal and just like exist like everyone else. And then, just have a normal life, right? And not everyone gets to make it through all of that noise. And, and they, you know, that's, that's the point. That's how they keep us down. Yeah. I even see it in, you know, I feel that a lot of the online conversation are around issues impacting the trans community, people, like bad actors and shitheads have, do- have dominated especially online, dominated those conversations. And so every conversation is like trans people in sports, bathrooms. And it's like, if we, if folks did not have to constantly, you know, contend with these very loud people who essentially, in my opinion, have been able to really own the conversation online, like, could we actually have a, a productive conversation that moves us forward? But I feel like we can't because we're still, the people who, who want to, be flooding every conversation with like a bunch of nonsense. They, they, they have dominated the online space, I feel. Yeah. And it's, it's all culture war stuff, right? Like this whole thing now it's about trans, trans kids in sports, right? There's no problems with trans kids in sports. All of these things that they're talking about, there's no statistics whatsoever that suggests that this is a problem in any, any way, shape or form. If a bunch of trans girls were out there winning every sports championship for you know, in, in high school women's sports and college women's sports, even I would say like, you know, maybe we need to re- revisit this, right? But that's not happening. There's none. There's none. There are no trans women dominating coll- collegiate athletics. There are no trans women dominating high school athletics. There are no trans women dominating the Olympic, you know, um, women's uh, competition. There are some trans women who are successful in those competitions, but we do not see a wave of 
you know, cis men trying to pretend that they're trans women so that they can get in a gold medal. We don't see that. We don't see trans women, trans girls joining these teams to dominate them. This is a completely fabricated issue. And the reason it has been fabricated is in order to create this polarization so that the right can stay relevant by creating this cultural division. And trans people have been historically used as scapegoats, um, as, as just, you know, we are just one sort of identity that has been used as scapegoats. Uh, you know, three, four years ago, this was all about bathroom bills. Okay, well, there was no evidence of, of any trans women ever sexually assaulting anyone in the bathroom or, or, or any um, men trying, you know, cisgender men trying to pretend that they are trans women to assault women in bathrooms. There were plenty of cases of cisgender men going into women's bathrooms when a cisgender woman who was like a butch lesbian went in there and then beat her up. So the, the, the actual threat of men, men, again, you know, men on women violence in women's bathrooms was the opposite of this problem, right? It was the, the thing that they were saying was going to happen was the thing that they were doing. All of this is culture war stuff. All of this is to de- designed to keep inflated this polarized version of, a, of politics um, and to, to rally people to, you know, the right knows that it's, it is a losing cause, but they create these fake issues um, to mobilize people. And it works because we're left here holding the bag because we have to be outraged and we have to fight it because the, if we don't fight it, it's a catastrophe. If we do fight it, it becomes this polarization vector. And then all of these talking heads, you know, on, on social media and in the New York Times op-ed and on cable news, they're all sitting here going, hmm, is America so polarized? Like, is it really both sides that are bad? And like, fuck you, buddy. You're not affected. Like, you're not going to get beat up if you go to try to take a leak in the bathroom at a courthouse or a school, right? This is not, this is not an issue of people becoming polarized. This is an issue of people who have always had a right defending against lies that are being used to try to remove that right in order to further a different political agenda. Like we're not a, you know, we're not a football, right? We're, we're people. And then us fighting to retain whatever little dignity we are granted somehow becomes like a both sides issue. Fuck that. It's so insulting. And I think people forget that these are people that, yeah, we're people. It's like, you're, yeah, you're not, I guess I hate when I see people talking about other human beings as if it's some sort of ideological exercise or something, you know, not someone's actual life. It's very frustrating. More after a quick break. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a backseat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. 
Head to iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment, whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let's get right back into it. Emily lives in Berlin. After being on the receiving end of ongoing harassment campaigns and attacks, including being swatted, a terrifying harassment tactic where law enforcement is summoned to your address under bogus pretenses, she was just looking for some space and some healing. You mentioned that having moved to Berlin, that you've been able to have a little bit more space, a little bit more healing, which I'm, I'm so thankful for because Lord knows you deserve it. Um, but I guess one of my questions is, I, I read that you initially decided to leave the country after things just got so, so scary for you. You know, I read that you had a, a, a like you were swatted, essentially. Can you tell me about this? Yeah, I was I was swatted. Um, lots of death threats. Um 
other threats of violence, lawsuits, um, you know, all of this stuff came came down on me. And, <clears throat> you know, the, the swatting incident in October of 2017 was, was a wake-up call. Um, you know, thankfully, neither my wife nor I were home at the time. Um, but it, you know, terrified the whole neighborhood. I mean, they came in, they blocked off the street. They had men right, running down the street with assault rifles. Um, you know, and I wasn't, I wasn't even in the state when this happened. Um, that was a bit of a wake up call. And the next month I went to Berlin, I came here to Berlin for a month to like, you know, I had to testify at Chris Campbell's preliminary hearing for, for my case. Um, and after that, I was like, I need to get out <clears throat> because you know, here I am, Chris Cantwell's preliminary hearing. There's, you know, a dozen Nazis in the courtroom. They all know where I live. That's a scary, scary thing to begin with. Um, I, you know, so I figure, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, get out of the country for a little bit <clears throat> because the threat was just so, so prevalent, uh, you know, prevalent. And Chris Cantwell is, you know, he's posting in his blog post about, you know, posting blog posts about me, writing on Gab about me, saying, I'm gonna kill you. You know, rallying up violence against me. People were drawing pictures of me being run down with a car, singing songs about, you know, gassing K-words and trannies, right? Um, and so I just said, you know, I, I left in, 20, in, in November 2017 for a month. And it was very healing. And I came back and I felt really good as, you know, when I came, when I was there. And I came back and I watched my mental health just go down. And then the threats, you know, were still, were still there. And then every time I would leave Charlottesville, I would feel better. And every time I would come back, I would spiral. And at, at some point, you know, I, I was like, I need a change. And, you know, my wife saw it too. She's like, you're not going to, you're not going to survive if you keep doing this. So, you know, I, I, my best friend had moved to Berlin at the end of, at the beginning of 2017. And, um, they said, you know, we have a, a position open. Why don't you apply? So I did. I got the job and I was, I said, I need, I need a change. You know, it's not safe for me here. I'm not healthy here. Um, why not? Mm. Let's make it an adventure. What does your healing journey look like? Um, very nonlinear. Um, healing is very nonlinear. Um, it's been a lot of uh, trying to unwind, trying to let things go, knowing that I don't have to fight every fight, um, getting some space, um, some physical security, some mental security, um, keeping myself busy with with new new intellectual challenges like learning German, not an easy language to learn. Um, you know, trying to do that keeps me busy, keeps me keeps me engaged. Um, so for me, it's it's really a, just about, you know, finding the mental space and energy um, to feel like I'm, to feel good about myself again, to feel like I have progress to make, um, you know, like at some point I will speak fluent German and I, I am getting closer every day. Um, the fight against white supremacy feels like it has no end. I can dox a hundred Nazis. I can, you know, put a hundred Nazis in jail. And there's another hundred Nazis to go. Um, and so, you know, I, it's not like we can't win the fight, but I can't win the fight, mm -hmm. right? I can learn German. I can 
learn a new programming language. I can learn to be a better salesperson. You know, I can learn to, to, to lead a team better. I can learn to, I can travel. I can open up my mind to these experiences, right? And for me, that's like really concrete, really tangible. Uh, well, I guess I can't travel now because it's stupid pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I have to tell you, this is kind of an aside, but um, I'm from Virginia. I'm from uh, Midlothian, small town, um, right outside of Richmond. And the and so, you know, people in Virginia, there's a certain kind of Southern politeness. And when you go have an inter- interaction with like a retail worker, you know, it's like, it's got to be like, oh, you look just like so-and-so. Are you related to them? Like every every interaction is 20 minutes. When I visited Berlin for the first time, it was so jarring to me how efficient every transaction was. And that was a real <laughs> learning curve. I had to learn how to conduct myself in exchange in like retail exchanges with very efficient Germans in Berlin. <laughs> yeah, it's it, this is not a, a land of small talk. Try to make small talk with somebody they're like, what? Are you, what? <laughs> Why are you asking me this? So for me coming to Virginia, it was like, you know, you ask somebody how they're doing and then they actually answer and you're like, yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a, it's 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 a real particular thing. Tracking the court cases of white supremacists and Nazis is surprisingly difficult. Cases can move slowly, and sometimes our media landscape is only interested in high-profile offenders, while smaller-scale ones can go overlooked. With Emily's work at First Visual, she's using data science to make it easier for journalists and activists and all of us to keep these people on our collective radars. Can you tell me about First Visual? First Visual is a resource for keeping track of criminal cases in the U.S., involving white supremacists and other far-right actors and, and, and hate crime um, committers. Um, and so it's basically just a, a public, it's, a, it's essentially a front end for a public records um, service, right? So one of the things that I noticed in following up with the cases around Charlottesville and the other high-profile white supremacy cases um, and far-right cases throughout the U.S. in 2018 was that it's really hard to keep track of all of them um, because the, the, the legal process is quite slow. You know, it, it typically takes a year or more for a criminal case to resolve. Um, Chris Cantwell was arrested in January of 2020, and it's now February of 2021. He just got sentenced. That's a relatively fast case, um, and that's over a year. Somebody like Robert Bowers, who's accused of murdering 11 Jews in the synagogue in Pittsburgh um, three years ago, almost, um, still has not gone to trial. So I wanted to create a resource for activists and journalists to be able to keep up with what is happening in these cases. Because if you're always, you know, if you're only writing a story when the big things happen, like the big, you know, oh, so-and-so had a hearing or so-and-so has a trial or so-and-so got sentenced, you know, that's months in between each event. It's really easy in the pace of today's world to lose the thread in that time, right? So if you're, if you write a story about somebody getting arrested in, in January and the next time anything happens is in September, you've completely lost the thread of that case. We're going to see this by the way, with the Capitol riot case, Mm. right? All of these arrests are happening now. A lot of these guys, you know, they've already been detained pending trial unless they plea out and the feds are going to be in no rush to plead them out. The next time that we're going to hear anything is probably going to be 2022, right? This is going to be a distant memory. Um, So First Vigil is a resource designed 
to try to keep that thread together. Um, so it's essentially a court calendar um, with details about what people are charged with. Um, I try to bring the, the charging documents. I try to, to make those available when I can. Um, I try to like add context around like, you know, how many years could they be looking at? You know, what is the crime that they're, you know, associated with? Um, and so it's just, it's just like a, a way for me to track what's going on. Um, and it's not comprehensive because frankly, if I worked 80 hours a week on it, I couldn't keep up. Mm. That's how bad it is right now. Wow. You know, you talk, you brought up the insurrection. I, I don't even really know how to ask this. I feel when you first started getting a high profile on social media for some of the work you were doing unmasking Nazis, obviously I thought it was the fucking best. There were people, even people who I feel I agree with who would say like, oh, you shouldn't be doxing people, blah, blah, blah. I, I guess I don't feel like that work was necessarily well received by everybody. And, and I found that surprising. And I think now that we've had this insurrection, I'm very grateful that you started what seems like kind of thankless work, not to mention dangerous work of creating an infrastructure where we could track some of these cases where it wouldn't just be, you know, they got charged, they got arrested and charged, and then you you didn't follow up with what happened. And I guess I wonder, do you feel that you ha do you feel as if you've seen a trajectory of people being like, oh, this work is bad, to now people being like, oh, thank God this work exists. Yeah, I think I mean I wasn't the first person to to out Nazis. I mean, there's a long story history of doing this. Um, and the work I do with First Vigil is not is actually not about outing Nazis because I source all of that information from news stories, right? So First Vigil is a journalistic um, resource. <clears throat> but before I created that, there was no real good public comprehensive database um, of, of these, these events. And, and First Vigil may not be comprehensive, but it, it's at least contemporary. Um, and the reporting was like, there's a small handful of reporters who did a good job, but they were clearly overwhelmed. Um, and I think that in the time since I've created First Vigil, we've actually seen a lot of activity to, um, by other groups, both, both activists, journalists, and academics and think tanks, to make this stuff available, to make this information available. I think it's a public good to do this. And I'm just really glad that lots of people have, have seen that, like one, like my resource can't be the, the one overriding like dominant resource. And they, they can add their own flavor. But two, that there's a need for this, right? Like one of my, you know, sort of philosophies is, you know, find work that needs to be done and do it. And that's what First Vigil was all about. It was just like, I saw a need, so I decided to create a thing. Lots of other people are doing this. They're adding their own spin to it. This is great. Like the world is richer when more people are taking public data, making it available, and adding their own interpretation, right? Because we are better off when we as intelligent thinking people, and we are all intelligent thinking people, can see different sides of a story, different perspectives, make their own decision, right? So sure, like, you know, I might not agree with everything that the ADL does. You know, I think they're overall a pretty good organization. I don't agree with all of their politics. I don't agree with all of their conclusions. But if they're doing this work and I'm doing this work, great. Now you get two different perspectives on this work. And none of those perspectives have to be, oh, what if the Nazi is the good guy, right? And none <laughs> of those perspectives have to, have to center this, this clear evil. 
Um, and to me, that that's important. So, you know, I think that it's good that more people are doing this because we really need to understand this as a society. We really need to understand white supremacy. The business of resistance is women's work. And Emily follows the legacy of women working quietly behind the scenes to build out the infrastructure for accountability. So many of the people doing this work yourself, Molly Conger, others, are women. How does it make you feel that this work that is so risky and sometimes, you know, uh, thankless, so much of it is being done by women? Like, why do you think this is? I think because women support each other and have to support each other to get by. And this is actually a way of us supporting each other, right? We're putting this out there to protect each other. Um, I think that, you know, there, there are men in this space and they're doing really good work. Um, but I think that overall, there's less impetus for men to see this at, like they see this as work and they see it as important, but they don't necessarily um, have the same experience of, you know, needing to create these support structures publicly and for strangers. Um, women, you know, women support each other when they see you, when they see each other crying in the bathroom at a club, right? Women support each other, you know, on the internet, on the bus. Um, I think that a lot of the women are doing this work because they see, they know the harassment that they've received. They know that they're not the only ones receiving the harassment um, and putting that resource out there. It's like a signal. It's like a you know, we're fighting for you. I might not know who you are, but I'm fighting for you. Emily, where can people keep up with all the amazing, heroic stuff that you are up to? Uh, I don't know if I'm up to any heroic stuff, but if you want to see <laughs> cute selfies and random tweets and probably grammatically incorrect German from time to time, um, the best way to keep in touch with me is at Emily Gorsinski on Twitter. Um, so that's where I'm at. I hope that you're out celebrating tonight kicking back, having a good one. You deserve it. I've got a little bit of work to do, but um, yeah, I've got, I've got a beer here and a whiskey and I'm going to enjoy, enjoy this, this, um, this win and uh, look forward to the next win. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help us grow by subscribing. Got a story about an interesting thing in tech or just want to say hi? We'd love to hear from you at hello at tangody.com. Disinformed is brought to you by There Are No Girls on the Internet. It's a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. Jonathan Strickland is our executive producer. Tari Harrison is our supervising producer and engineer. Michael Amato is our contributing producer. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. For more great podcasts, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com slash RTP. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? 
Enter Conair Girl Bomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girl Bomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.